Um, this morning we're going to be talking about rest. This is going to be the third week in a row that we're talking about rest because we believe in vacation, snacks, and naps. That's not why. I mean, I do believe in all three of those things, actually. Um, but it's just a, it's, it's a part of the Gospel of Matthew uh, where in Matthew 11, Jesus says, you come to me, you take my yoke upon you, and I promise you I'm going to give you rest, that I am gentle, that I am good. And then last week... Um, in Matthew 12, 1 through 8, um, Jesus is having a snack on the Sabbath, and the Sadducees and Pharisees are coming to attack him. And today, we're going to be in Matthew 12, verses 9 through 14, as Jesus is attacked again on how he Sabbaths. So read with me, Matthew 12, 9 through 14. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched out and was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. We praise you. Continue to fill this room with your presence, Holy Spirit. We declare that we need you. We need you to understand this passage. We need you to understand what rest and what Sabbath and what your glory is. Rest upon your people today. May your presence be in this room according to your word and according to your promises. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, why are we talking about rest third time in a row? Why? Because Jesus promises that if we take his yoke upon us, he will give us rest. So this is the second time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is being attacked for how he rests, how he lives out the Sabbath. Jesus corrects these leaders two different times on their understanding of the Sabbath, on the understanding of rest. And then he says something really outrageous. He says he is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, for the reader in the time of Christ, this would have been another point where Jesus is either Lord, he's the Messiah, he is king, or he is crazy, and he's a heretic. And today, we see Jesus healing and according to them, he is breaking the law. So again, we want to look at, like we have the last couple of weeks, is what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath represents the rest that God offers us in the kingdom to come. It represents what happened in creation in Genesis when for six days God creates, and then on the seventh he rests. Is he tired? No. But he rests. This word for rest can mean to cease what you're doing. It can also mean to celebrate. So we know the God that is not tired is not resting the way we rest, 
but there is a celebration happening. He's stopping what he's doing, and he's just looking at all his glory that he's done. And how awesome is it that God does that? He just looks at, he looks at man, he looks at the creation, and he's like, this is good. The Sabbath, the celebration, is something that we see in the Old Testament where as God is revealing himself to his people, he gives them ten commandments, and one of the commandments is that they would rest. And this is an actual command. Mark 2.27 is a reminder of what the Sabbath is. Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, they were looking at the commands just like we do the Ten Commandments, these rules and regulations. Everything was about how they could better follow these commands. The Sabbath is a gift. And Jesus reminds them, this is a gift for you. It was made for you to find rest. Raise your hand if you're in a tired season. Right? That's not a bad thing. Rest is a declaration that work has been done. Rest is a declaration that we need Abba Father to hold us. Rest is an invitation for comfort and to be comforted by the only one who can. So if you raised your hand and you said, man, I'm tired, you're in good company. And if we look at it through the lens of the commands of Jesus, there's a command and an invitation for a gift from God. But as we look at this command of rest, or maybe, maybe even just the rat race of life, when we look at Sabbath as a gift from God, understand this, the religious spirit will always attack the freedom that is found in Christ. That is why we continue to look at rest. And God talks about it in the Old and New Testament. And there's this challenge to trust him in all the things that we have to do that we'd also find rest in him. And understand this, the agnostic faith and the religious spirit are the same thing with different packaging. An agnostic is someone that admits there is a God, but that God does not matter. The religious spirit talks a lot about God, but not to God, as if he is not here so as we look at this command, we'll be looking at it from the lens of freedom. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Deuteronomy is telling us a lot of information right there. These were former captives, the Israelites, for hundreds of years, they were captives to Egypt, and every day, what they did was dictated by the slave master. And then Jesus brings them into the promised land, because we know it's God and Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he brings them into the promised land, these former slaves. He frees them. He gives them land, the promised land. Everyone gets this land to produce harvest. But he says, on the seventh day, you will rest. Think about this for a moment. When you think about just like if you've ever been captive, like you can be addicted 
and, and, and the Israelites, they, they struggled with this. You, they wanted to go back to Egypt, right? They say things like, man, don't you remember when we had pots of stew and meat? And here we're following God in the promised land, and we're talking about this day's rest. Like, have you ever been addicted to something? You ever had pain? You can start to, like, all your focus be on that and your worship be on that. Does that make sense to us? So imagine when Jesus says, you get a day off, and I command you to do it. We look at that, and, we're, and from our perspective, we're like, well, that's not, oh, who wouldn't do that? Well, from their perspective, it was a big deal of trust. From former slaves that were addicted to being, to being slaves, to also probably workaholics that were like, man, we've never been able to work for ourselves. We're not going to stop. We're, we're going to accumulate more. Humans don't have a problem with that, do we? Right? Not at all. So for them, the Sabbath, it was a big deal. And it's a big deal for us. When you talk about rest and what it means and what it doesn't mean, depending on where you're coming from, it kind of trips your trigger. Right? Slow down. Rest in God. Wait for Him. The Sabbath day is on the last day of the week which is Saturday. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to just talk about it. So the question is, why do we worship on Sunday? And this is a great debate that Christians have had for a long time. Well, one of the things you can see is in Matthew 28.1. It says, after the Sabbath, which was on that Saturday, at dawn and on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And you can find quite a few passages on the resurrection of Jesus Christ where they waited till that Sunday, which was the third day, the resurrection day, because Saturday they were resting on the Sabbath. They couldn't go to the tomb. And early Christians, as they're looking at the Sabbath, which was on Saturday, and then the first day of the week, which was actually Sunday, there's been a debate in Christian history and if you know the book of Galatians, Paul is trying to show this demonstration, but the difference between Jews and Christians. And there's this, there's this whole letter to the church where Paul is telling him, because the Jews were struggling, saying, you, have, you Christians, you Gentiles must be holy like us. And Paul is saying, no, we are all unholy. There's not a ceremony that would cleanse us. It is only the blood of Christ. So then there was this change in the early church where then they started worshiping on Sunday, which was also Resurrection Day. Does that make sense to us? And there's still debate. There's still debate about it. I will always have people come to say, hey, shouldn't we be worshiping on Saturday? It's a good debate. It's one of the reasons why we have the weekend. Praise be to God. Right? Some debates are worth having. Let's have another one so we can have three days off. Right? Can I get an Amen. So just to give you some history, that's why it's there. And I would say this, just because you keep Sabbath uh, holy on Saturday doesn't mean you can't worship on Sunday, right? We can work through this debate. But Jesus makes this great statement, and one that should just shake us to our inner being, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. That is something that means a little bit different to us in our perspective, but to them, everything was about keeping these laws and commands. The Sabbath, and Jesus is the Lord of it, which means he'll tell us how to rest. And we, and we pray that you take this command seriously. 
The Sabbath allows us to, number one, rest in God. Number two, as Christians, be with other believers. And then number three, a rest from our labor. In Exodus 20, 8 through 11, the Lord gives this command that they are to take a break from their labor. Even the land and the animals were to take a break from all of their labor. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing, but the religious spirit that we all struggled with turned it into a burden and into pride, into something to brag about. We don't do that today at all, do we? There's no church competition. There's no religious spirit. No, there is, and we fight against it. Let me show you how holy I am on the outside so you don't see what's happening on in, in the inside. So they came up with rules of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a big deal. It was something they could do. The Ten Commandments It was a part of their religious service. So they came up with rules on what it would look like to not work. And Pastor Michael brought up a few last week. I'm going to bring a, a few up this week. One of the things is a person could take a bath on the Sabbath. That's good. But it was debated on whether they should dry off all at once or limb by limb in sections. Because it might be too taxing. And we laugh at that. I laugh at that too. I'm like, this is crazy. But we do things like that too. Right? A radish, because, you know, plants and animals, things like that. A radish could be dipped in salt, but not for too long. Or it might be pickled, therefore resulting in work. Right? I mean, they had, and some of it at first probably came from a good heart. of like, man, we just, this is a commandment. And there's, there's like penalties if we don't rest. So let's make sure we really understand what work is. But then it came to this place where the Sabbath was work. In today's passage, Jesus is being questioned on doing work on the Sabbath by healing a man's hand. Think about that for a moment. They are calling me. He is getting ready to heal someone, and the Pharisees are like, time out, Jesus. That's work, and we're not doing that here because we're holy. And we, we can stop here and go, like, wow, these bad dudes. But our religious spirits kind of do the same thing. Do we understand that God's commands or laws bring life? Rules and commands from the Lord don't decrease love or freedom. They increase them. Just like the Sadducees and Pharisees and the religious leaders, if we're not careful because our hearts get tainted and hard, God gives us a, a command and we say, our focus is on the don'ts from a wrong perspective. The church can become a place of don'ts rather than what you're doing. Does that make sense to us? When being a Christian is about all the things well, we can't do that we'd really love to do if we didn't love God so much. It's a misunderstanding of the commands of God. And this is something that people on both sides, very liberal sides and conservative sides, struggle with. The power of sin against the power of God's love and sovereignty. When God tells us, don't touch something, there is love behind it every time. Every single time. 
But when our hearts are tainted, we will do things like, man, to love Jesus, I'm going to refrain from all the good stuff. Maybe one day we'll be able to have a lot of fun. Or then when we think of heaven, like to be honest, sometimes because of our view of God's laws, we're like, man, I'm going there, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be great. We say things like, man, are we just going to sing all day long? Is that all we're going to do? Anyone struggle with this stuff? Right? And it's our, it's our hearts that need, like, Lord, captivate our hearts, change our hearts. Again, Jesus is getting ready to heal someone on the Sabbath. Jesus calls them out and says, man, if you're sheep, because they had rules for this, sheep, donkeys, livestock, they were precious. They're like, man, we need to kind of put an asterisk by that and like, hey, if something like that happens, you can get your property. Like sheep would just do dumb things and fall in a hole. And they're like, well, we can't have that happen. It's really not work. That's our property. We'll take it out. Jesus calls them out on that and says, how much more is a human life than an animal? That's how twisted we can get if we don't understand the heart behind the law. When God says don't touch this or that, it's because he loves you. Right? It's like when your mom says, eat your veggies as a kid, you're kind of like, get behind me, Satan. Right? Now, that wasn't me because I ate everything that my mom gave me. And my son does that too, not because I'm good, just because I like food. Like asparagus, I'll eat that. Brussels sprouts, sign me up. My son does the same thing. But you see what I'm saying there, right? Like you're like, but when you get older, you're like, oh, my mom didn't want to torture me. She loves me, right? And it's the same thing with the Lord. We don't always understand why God is saying or what he's saying. But as we trust him and we taste and see that he's good, we realize that those commands are to benefit us, not take away good stuff from us. Like where God says, don't touch us because I want you to suffer. That's not the heart of God. The Sabbath represents the kingdom to come. The rest that can only be found in Jesus. One of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God's laws bring us freedom. God's not the taker of fun or passions or desires. He's the one that created them in a place where they most glorify him. And when we understand where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We will understand why during worship we are shouting. I have friends that have been in prison before. And they get out, they're doing the happy dance. Right? One time I had an unpaid parking ticket and I was like in jail for like an hour. And it was the worst hour of my life. And I'm telling you, when I got out of that place, my friend had $100 and got me out of there. I was humbled and learned you better pay your parking tickets. But I was also happy. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. We were on our way to hell, according to Scripture. In bondage and addiction. And Jesus saved us by the power and the blood of the Lamb. And then His Spirit is amongst us. If you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
And we need to hang out with the Holy Spirit just a little bit more every day to really grasp how good God is. When your heart and your mind are in bondage, bad things seem good. And good things seem like they're at a distance. A bleeding heart will tell people to take the bait of their false desires. A loving God will just give us whatever we want, right? If it feels good, do it is a lie. Remember that model of the 80s and 90s? If you grew up in the 80s and 90s, raise your hand. Show your age proudly, right? The model from Nike was, if, right, if it feels good, just do it, just do it. That was just the motto. And now we're living the results of that. And, and there's, there's a train of people coming just to take people out. No forgiveness, no restoration, no second chances. But this generation that we live in now is no different. Now it says you can be whatever you want and do whatever you want. And we as the church must go, no, that is not true. It's the same lie but a different package. And it's not because God's wanting to take away our fun. It's not because God is wanting to take away the joy and the glory. It's because his word is true. And only he brings us rest. May we walk with humility and wisdom as we say, Lord God, show us what the Sabbath looks like. Question is, what is work or a burden? That was their question. And again, their hearts got so tainted. They knew the, the word forward and backwards. They, could, they had it all memorized, the Old Testament. But somehow they saw healing as work. They saw Jesus going through a field and having a snack. Like, oh, he's working, he's working. And we can look at that and go, oh, man, so silly. Or we can be humble and go, we kind of do that too. So the question is, what is work and what is a burden? When I'm able to take a vacation with my family, and other pastors go through this too, the question always is, well, you go to church or worship gathering when you're on vacation. I mean, I'm a professional Christian, right? I need a break. Right? That's, that's the question. And man, if we can and we're on vacation, we want to worship with the saints. Because this isn't work. Right? We're all in ministry. And it's something that Christian pastors can struggle with. Like, I need to take a break from the body of God. If that is the case, then we're missing what the body of God is or why we're even meeting here today. And Satan loves it. Now, the flip side can be there, too. If I'm on vacation and we, like, we feel, like, obligated, like, oh, we better find a church service because we can't worship in the mountains or on the beach, then there's a problem, too. Man, Satan loves to put these chains on us and call them freedom. And God wants to take the chains off you so you can be in freedom, and then we call God a dictator. Another thing that happens as a leader, when, as a leader is I, if I go to another church service or I hear someone else teach, an, a question that's often asked, do you just, man, can you just sit there or do you just tear things apart? Can I really just sit and worship? And then if I can't do that, then somehow, some way, the spirit of religion has taken its hold of me. And I have friends in the ministry that will just be honest and say, man, I struggle with that. Does that make sense to us? When our hearts get tainted, we just need to sit in his presence.
And this command of the Sabbath is an invitation for us to find his rest, to take a break from all the stuff on the news, to take a break from all the stuff on social media. Right? Our minds need a break. Our spirits need restoration. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We are still before God because we need his heart. We need his perspective. I want to look at uh, 1 Kings 19, 9 through 14, and look at ministry burnout. And I'm not talking about this from, from the life of a pastor or someone that's in professional ministry. I'm talking like we're all in ministry. And we're all called to be the light of the world. We're all called to spread the gospel. But to do that, we've got to take a rest and a rest in him. And I want us to look in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 14, and look at a man called Elijah. He was a prophet in the Old Testament who God used in a mighty way for three years It did not rain. And it's because Elijah, by the power of God, told the rain not to come. And for three years there was drought in the land. And we see in 1 Kings 18 where there's this showdown between God and the false prophets. And it begins to rain. And there's some miraculous things that happen. And then another false prophet comes after Elijah and he takes off. And this is where we find him. He goes from the greatest moment of his life to the worst moment in his life. And this is where we find him in 1 Kings 19, 9 through 14. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. And the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was there, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, but your prophets put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So why do we want to look at this? Elijah was a powerful man. You look at the transfiguration, there's two people next to Jesus, Moses and Elijah. And they both had some failures as leaders. If you want to believe in God's grace, right? right we understand our leaders must need God's grace as, as, just as much as anybody else. That God can restore any person. But Elijah was this great, powerful man. The, the, the letter in the book of James, James is saying, when he's talking about the power of prayer, he's saying the power the prayer that we have in the name of Jesus is just like what, what James had, right? The, the, the church looked to James as a, or as Elijah as a hero. But here we see him in a moment of burnout. 
Doing the work of the Lord became work and unrest. Elijah felt alone. He felt overwhelmed and he felt overpowered. Fear. And God takes him to this place. Says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I'm the only one, God. God says, we need a greater invitation, Elijah. Go out in this place because I'm about, I'm, I'm about to pass by. Elijah, you've never seen me this way, this close. This is a moment. I just got to get your attention. And at first, right, there's the wind. There's the earthquake. There's the fire. All the things that sometimes we're just following hype. When we're just following the goosebumps, we say, the Lord's going to be in those things because they're great. God is in the quiet and in the still places. I think there's a reason why God is doing it in that way for Elijah, man. He's this prophet. He's seen powerful things. He's caught up in the goosebumps. He's caught up in the miraculous God, but he needs to know the relationship God, right? You know, the people that you love that say, hey, man, can we just get rid of the cell phone? Can we just get rid of all distractions? I just want to talk to you face to face. That's what's happening right here. In 1 Kings 18.22, if you go back to, to 1 Kings, Elijah has this his great moment in victory. And one of the things he says there, he says, hey, guys, in, in his moment of victory, he's like, guys, I'm the only one left, but it's okay. I'm Elijah, and I'm going to take these false prophets out. It's the same thing he says when he's going down this spiral. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And if we're not careful, we will run, and we will run, and a lie can find its place in our heart. You're doing this great thing. Pride sets in. And then at some point when we stumble and we fall, fear and isolation can come in. And the enemy still uses this tactic today, that you're alone, that you're isolated, that you're the only one. As a pastor, I can feel like that. As a father, I can feel like that. As a husband, I can feel like that. Tell me I'm not alone. You can be in a room like this with other believers and feel like you're alone. But is it true? He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You have the body of Christ surrounded by you. You are alone, and that lie can lead to other great lies, which is where Elijah finds himself. So be still before the Lord and hear his voice. And don't live a life that doesn't need God. See, Scripture tells us his sheep know his voice and they follow him. We need the Sabbath rest. And who is our rest? It is Jesus. I encourage you, take a holy day when you can. Move your schedule around so you can just sit at his feet. But the beauty of as a believer is every day you can say, Jesus, be my Sabbath. Jesus, be my rest right in this place, right in this storm. Because if not, then what we're doing is Monday through Friday is just living for the weekend. And God has not called us to live like that. See, we have a plan and we have a purpose. 
We need physical rest, but we need spiritual rest. Why? Because God has called us to give life. Genesis 1.28. This is from the Old Testament. I want to look at Matthew 5.16. Old Testament, New Testament coming together. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves in the ground. Right? Even in Genesis in the garden, God says, man, I, this was before the fall. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. There's some stuff God says, I want you to do and I want you to be a part of. Matthew 5.16 reminds us of the same thing. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. If we're just living for the weekend, what about Monday through Friday? I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He would sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Tired is an invitation to find rest. And as a believer, we have the sacred Sabbath that we can have on a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever day that you're called to live it, but it's also every day. Lord Jesus, be my rest. I want us to look in, at Mark 4, 37 to 40. And then we're going to close. This is Jesus. He is our rest, and we find him resting on a boat. Mark 4, 37, it says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? God gives us rest. But he also gives us an opportunity to be the light of the world. We cannot do that if we do not rest in him on a Sabbath day, but also every day. Living a life that says, Lord Jesus, I cannot make a move without the power of the Holy Spirit. In Mark 4, 37, we see there's a storm. Some of us are living through storms even right now. And you might be looking at Jesus going, don't you care if I drown? Jesus, Rabbi, like this isn't good, and you find Jesus asleep. And we must go through this question to follow this holy God. God, do you care? Raise your hand if you've said that to the Lord ever. Right? I've said it many. Lord, do you care about these people? Do you care about me? God, where are you? Like, Lord Jesus, wake up. There's a storm around me. It's a part of that faith. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind, tells it to be still, and it dies down. And he does the same thing in our lives when we let him. And he says this, why are you so afraid? 
do you still have no faith? And that same thing is said to us on a daily basis. Is it wrong to question and wrestle with your faith? No, but we must go through this path. Jesus, where are you? He says, why are you so afraid? What are you doing here? And that's a moment of confession and honesty before the Lord. And then, yes, he says some very audacious, beautiful things like, do you still have no faith? And what happens is we will, we will make up a God that would never put us in a storm again. But that's not the God we serve. It's why we need the Sabbath. It's why we need the power of God. As we close, and before we get to a time of worship, we've got three questions. Number one, do you take rest in Christ? As a believer, I do believe there's a commandment in that. I believe it looks different for each of us. If you're a single mom, a single dad in here, like your rest is going to look a little bit different. I have some friends um, that go to church here. You guys might know them, David and Stephanie Black. Um, their youngest son is on his third stent of a battle of leukemia, and they're with him. Their rest looks radically different. It's not a day off ever for them, but they're also in a declaration that needs God to show up, so they need his rest. Does that make sense to us? Like we all look different on how we rest, but we must rest in him. And we can find rest in the storm. Do you take rest in Jesus? Second question. Do you see God's commands as life-giving? When God says no, or not yet, or you'll see, do you trust him and realize this isn't God taking away from you? It's always because he loves you. And maybe you need a Sabbath rest and sit before him just to understand his heart, to taste and see that he's good. When he says no, whatever stage you're in, he says no, it's always for your benefit and his glory. He is that good. And then the last question is, how is Jesus calling you to produce a harvest? If you guys can stand, we're going to close in prayer. And I'd like you to join hands with the person next to you. And we're just going to seek Jesus as we worship. There's communion in the, in the back, and we encourage you to take that. There are also people in the back that would love to pray with you. We are on a journey, friends, and it's one to be the light of the world. And Satan hates it. He wants you to live isolated. He wants you to live alone. He wants you to think that, that God um, doesn't care, that he's distant, that he will not show up. And so we come together in the name of Jesus in a declaration together that he is good, that he is sovereign, and that he has chosen us to be the light of the world, and that there is a harvest. We pray for the workers of the harvest, and we do it together. I encourage you, let people pray for you. Let us pray. Father God, as we come to you, Fill your bride with your glory.
Father, Lord, many of us are tired. Of course we are. That's just an invitation from you, Lord, to say, come fill up. Come be restored. Come be renewed. Come be set free. Father, we pray in Jesus' name for the person on our left and for the person on our right. We hold hands with them in a declaration that says we are not alone. That our days are filled with promise from a holy God who always keeps his word. That the best is yet to come because your promises are true and you have not come back yet for your bride. So we have a hope and a glory that is being established. Father, would we walk into your rest? Would we just cry out, Abba, Father, that we need you? Would we worship you today as a child that needs to be held by their daddy? Father, we love you and we worship you in Jesus' name.